Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Boy. Back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for FilmStage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan, and with me today to count down our top 10 movies of the year 2018, we have Michael Snydell. Hello! I'm here to talk about lists. Lists! <laughs> we also have Bill Graham. Woo! Yes. It is that time of year again, the time when we take all of the strong, emotional, academic reactions we had and sort them down into a list that loosely comprises what could generously be called the top 10 best films of the year. I like to say that these are our top 10 favorite films of the year because that allows for a little more latitude for, you know, all those human feelings and emotions that we have that preclude us from being able to objectively state that these are the best. We obviously have the authority to do that. So we're just being humble. (laughs) It's just, it's weird. Like, okay, we're going to like give our personal top 10 best films of the year. And it's like, eh, but you know, some of these are, it's just like, I really like this film. And it maybe was a film that was like better, but fuck you. I like this movie. So, (laughs) This is a seemingly arbitrary list of 10 films from each of us that could be used as a bellwether to describe what movies we enjoyed watching the most in the past year. It's also just a great excuse for me to once again play Beyonce's Countdown on this show. Good song. Uh, Probably my favorite of her songs. Okay. Yeah. Bold choice. All right. Very weird reactions to that. Anyway... (laughs) The usual stuff. Let's uh, let's let's move on. Um, find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook the Film Stage Show. Find us on iTunes. Give us a comment or rating there. And don't forget that we are now on Stitcher and Google Play. And of course, you can email us podcast at thefilmstage.com. In addition, uh, become a patron of ours by going to patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow. And you can become part of our super cool Slack channel where there's constantly pop culture topics and debates being had. And uh, with award season coming up, you bet that there are some opinions flying out there now. In addition to that, we are brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema, where every day their beautiful, intelligent curators give you a brand new film to watch. And um, you have 30 days to check it out. That's a constantly rotating selection of 30 films. There's a a really great, really great... um, what do I, what do you call it? A series going on right now called Psychotropic Visions. I I almost want to has anyone looked at Mubi and seen what their psychotropic visions have been so far? I did and I'm wondering if I can handle watching one of them ever again. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to I was going to make you guess what they were. Um one of them super easy to guess, uh Enter the Void, 
2009 yeah. film by Gaspar Noé. And um, Nicholas Winning Refn, Valhalla Rising. Ah, oh, Jesus. <laughs> that fucking movie put me to sleep. God damn it. And I love Mads Mikkelsen, but God. Oh, one eye. All right. Bill has some feelings. Viking visions are not his thing. <laughs> no. no, apparently not. God, no. But yes. Um, also, I'm just going to throw this out here for no particular reason whatsoever. Andrew Bajalski has Funny Haha presently on there oh, as well. Yeah. Um, another thing that may hook into some movies that could be on our lists, E2 Mama Tambien by Alfonso Cuaron is also presently on Mubi. This is part of their series, What is an Auteur? So by looking at those, maybe you'll be able to figure it out. Because <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, I've studied the auteur theory. I've written papers on it. I still can't really tell you what. <laughs> I, I do have to say a, a fun story I have is a, a friend of mine in high school uh, when Enter the Void came out. Uh, I, I had recommended that she watch it. I didn't tell her that she should watch it away from other people. So she happened to watch it in her family home in a TV that was viewable by impressionable young people. and Young cousins. Enter the Void is has some parts that you wouldn't want to see, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want grandma to see, you know? Well, you know, at least it wasn't love 3d. That's, that's true. You got that going for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Silver yes. lining. All, Silver all of those lining. are available on movie presently. Go to mubi.com slash film stage for a free 30 day trial to check Climax out. coming in March. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, we're, no, we're definitely doing that. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I'll just. Uh, I gotta prepare myself for that. <clears throat> yeah. With with bourbon, probably. Anyway, that's it. Uh, we are now free to begin our discussion. Our little our little rundown. Our primary feature, which is of course, running down our top ten films of the year of our Lord twenty eighteen. Let's do it. Michael Snydell, what is your number 10 film of the year? My number 10 film is um, a, a film that I came to pretty late and is therefore in the 10 spot a little bit because I feel a little bit conflicted about it. And it's Abbas Kirstami's 24 Frames, which has a lot of significance as it's the last, uh, the last film from that uh, sadly departed filmmaker. And uh, it, it's a really fascinating idea, uh, one that I will admit I'm not sure is totally original or new within the realm of experimental filmmaking. But what he did is Abbas Kiyostami wanted to bridge his role as photographer and filmmaker. So he, he uh, picked 24 photographs that he was particularly happy with and then digitally animated the life before and after uh, the, the shot was taken. So it, it, there is definitely this strange, uncanny valley, almost a, almost like a, reminded me of like FMV games, like PC games in the sense that there are very much like digital animals and that are, you know, sometimes might, the only thing they might do is just slowly walk through the frame over, uh, three minutes. So it is very much like the idea of a master shot and you just kind of scanning the frame. 
And so it is something that you take from it, you know, what you put into it. And it, it is very much a lot of times feels like you're just getting a lot of time to think about the actual act of watching. And in that sense, again, I'm not sure how totally original this was. And admittedly, this can also stand in for the experimental films that I heard a lot about this year, like Prototype, that I did not get to this year. So while I, I think that this is a, a really excellent film, I don't feel like I totally have the capacity to be able to contextualize it. But it's, an, it's still a experience that I would recommend to anyone for the sheer act of watching, let alone the fact that it's the last film from my radio director, Abbas Abbas Kiristami, who is a, I was going to say fan of our show, a favorite of our show. Oh, whoa. Breaking news. Beyond the gray of favorites. We get podcasts in heaven, right? Retweets all the time. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right, let's move on. Bill, what's your top 10 film of the year? My top 10 film is a little film called eighth grade i really enjoyed this film um i don't know if we did a podcast on it i didn't do enough research to figure that out i know i didn't do a podcast on it and so i just really really enjoyed the experience of watching this nightmare film unfold in front of my eyes um it is it just really captures like that spirit of what it means to be young and impressionable and just innocent beyond belief, but also like willing to put yourself out there and just not knowing how to find someone that can reciprocate that. And then also trying to navigate people that you don't necessarily want to hang out with. Um, and all of that in play is just masterful in, in inside this film. And I believe it is his first uh, debut feature, which is also incredible. So I think both of them, Elsie Fitcher, the lead actress, and then what the fuck is his name? The director. Bo Burnham. Bo Burnham. Bo Burnham. Um, I think they're both people to, to look forward to, uh, to see where, what they do next. So eighth grade. Um, we did not do a podcast on that because I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> I um, I feel ashamed about that. I guess we could do a list of shame at the end and top of our honorable mentions. Yes, I, I would oh, like I have that. <laughs> okay, great. So that's a new thing that we're going to be doing. You can look forward to that. If you hear <laughs> us not mention something, look for the list of shame. Yes, um, longer than our top tens. <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah. Both of those movies that you both just mentioned are on mine. <laughs> Um, this is, however, a movie, actually almost every movie that we're going to do is something that we have done a podcast on for me, because those are the only new movies that I get to see. Um, (laughs) the only ones that I can justify. So, uh, my number 10 is support the girls. Woo. Yeah. And, um, you know, we did a whole podcast on this movie, so I don't feel like I've got to go too in depth about my feelings about it, but, uh, just, uh, I don't know. It's a, it's been a bleak year. (laughs) And it's nice to see a movie about people who care about each other, who are there for each other, who are thrown together through circumstances that they can't control, really, like financial necessity and, you know, where you've decided to try to get a job, and uh, who form a family and who just honestly are trying to work within a rotten system. 
and who at the end of the day are there to love and support one another. It's just, and like, you know, the acting obviously is great. The writing is great. It's got a sly sense of humor that I love. I forever, every now and then I just think of the scene where, um, main character's outside and she's crying and one of her coworkers like busts outside with a noise making confetti gun <laughs> and just screams like, you're awesome. And then goes back inside. <laughs> and it's little moments like that, little human, human interest moments that like drive my affection for this film. And I think this is a film that is, deserves to be a uh, scene by as many people as possible. It is on uh, Hulu yes, now. I, I was believe. just about to say that it's on Hulu. <laughs> so check it out. That is my Get it. 10 favorite film of the year. Support the girls. It was a fight for my number 10. I'll say that as well. It was, there was, there was a scrum that was happening. Um, but let's move on. Michael Snydell. Why don't you tell uh, us what your number nine favorite film of the year was? Sure. Ninth, my number nine the best film of the year. <laughs> The ninth best film of the year, says me. Um, I was, you know, it's probably the most polarizing one on my list. Mm, and that boy. is uh, Josephine Decker's film, Madeline's Madeline. Ah. Um, so this is, um, Josephine Decker is someone who I finally caught up a little bit with this year. And uh, I must admit, like, I, I, I saw her film, um, Not Butter on the Latch, it's the other one. Um do, 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 do. Oh, thou wast mild and, lo- and lovely. No wonder I didn't remember it because it's a <laughs> terrible title. That just anyway, off uh, the tongue. Thou wast mild and lovely was kind of a, an incredible experience, and like to give you an extent, sense of type of magical realism fantasy it uh, traffics in. There's there's a tangent that's a three minute scene from the perspective of a cow <laughs> just just because. Um, and, and Madeline's Madeline is similarly. It's it is a, a film that really throws it all out there in the sense of wanting to be a uh, play within a play that is also a commentary on mental illness and race and and also the the very weird and. Uh, understandably conflicted relationship between the the main character and uh the director slash writer josephine decker who is a white woman and the lead is a black woman and it it is clear out there that um helena howard who's just a, a force of nature in this um clearly had some um helped with the script in some sense, but there is absolutely some, some ethically, I I don't want to say dubious because I think I'm projecting too much on it, but, but this is such a film that requires such a, a raw and consuming performance from the performers within that it's hard not to feel like you're watching something that you're not supposed to. And I think that, uh, sensation, is at once incredible and terrifying, but it's something that nonetheless lingered with me all this year. All right. I hated that movie. <laughs> you, you liked it when you saw it. Did you change? I don't feel change like your- that's a that's a proper 
Am I crazy, Bill? I feel like I hated that movie. Didn't I hate that movie? Like, didn't I say? How how am I supposed to know? I don't Bill know. Why did I ask one. you? That's a good point. Memory <laughs> of the goldfish. That was I, um, uh, uh, Garish who was on that one. <laughs> yeah, my my recollections of that movie are, you know, I had a lot of issues with finishing it. I thought that uh, Helena Hayward was great. Howard. Howard was great. I feel like I said that a lot. Um, I felt like I had some ethical issues like the ones you were talking about. Anyway, someone go back and listen to that episode and let us know who's right. (laughs) Bill Graham, what, in your opinion, was the ninth best film of the year? That I saw, at least. That you saw. Um, Hashtag blessed. Um, Damn it. It was... Leave No Trace by Deborah Granick. Um, I've been looking forward to seeing this film since I saw Winter's Bone and just wanted to see whatever she followed this up with. Um, the fact that she apparently kind of secretly discovered Vera Farmiga, even though I didn't actually see what, what was that? It's called To the Bone or something like that. I believe that so. was her film. <clears throat> Anyways, I'll, I'll look uh, and then uh, she also discovered slash like uh made famous jennifer lawrence um and then you know i'm just seeing what she's done since and it was like documentary work which she's just been struggling with and like getting the funding and getting their her subjects to actually be on film and she's she's had a rough path um and thankfully, people like Ben Foster are out there that give her the opportunity to basically make a film like this, which, you know, most studios are going to balk at. And it's beautiful. It's wonderful. We have a new uh, young face that she's kind of uh, utilizing once again. And I just really feel like this is one of those quiet films that really didn't make a big splash for a lot of people but my experience watching it in a theater was just really transformative and transportive and yeah i I just cannot say enough good things about this film um it's beautifully shot it is incredibly well acted and the fact that there isn't really a antagonist in this film it's just kind of the reality of our world and how we kind of try to fit in. Um, it's, it's beautiful. And the first movie was uh, down to the bone, down to the bone. Okay. Yes. There's a lot of bone movies out there. Well, especially her, her first two movies are down to the bone and then winner's bone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this movie is also, I believe available now on Amazon prime video. Woo. Yeah. So again, the wonders of technology in the future are allowing you all to see almost instantly all of our choices. You can watch all of these things on your phone. Boom. Oh, my God. And you're going to love it on your phone. <laughs> um, Headphones a- are not optional, by the way. You, they're mandatory if you watch it on your phone. Yes. especially. Are, are we now sponsored by Netflix? Is that what's happening? And I wasn't told. <laughs> oh, I was uh, going to say we're sponsored by phones. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, oh, you didn't. You didn't get the Bose uh, headphone link, Michael. That w- that we all got. You know, I did not. Well, mm. when can I expect a package? Mm-hmm. And then I'll be sure to say all the nice things about headphones. <laughs> <laughs> 
I like how Bill actually chose a name brand, and I was just going to say, we're brought to you by phones <laughs> and headphones and possibly the internet. Um, my number nine, my ninth most enjoyed movie that I saw this year Boy. is Widows by director Woo! Steve McQueen. A movie that I think excels the most when it is looking at the granular local politics of Chicago. <laughs> I have to say, there's never been a movie, I think, that really nails the nitty gritty of, uh, you know, the ward politics in Chicago and how aldermen wield their power and really portrays the city of Chicago, I think, as we all know it to be. And so for <laughs> that reason... On top of the stunning direction, the witty writing, and the stellar performances, um, you know, that's that's why. Because this movie gets Chicago so right that I think that we have to celebrate that. So, that is Widows by director Steve McQueen. My number nine most enjoyed film of the last year that I saw. Michael Snydell. Oh, oh, what I missed. Sorry, I was reading about uh, Chicago <laughs> Alderman Ed Burke. <laughs> I like how I just burned my entire thing for Widows just by making a stunning in-joke that only people who listen to this show religiously and Michael will get. Good job. That's my commitment. <sighs> Michael Snydell. I, we we oh, are committed, if nothing else, we are committed to the person who listens to every single episode. I try to imagine the person who listens to every episode of this podcast at least once with utter commitment, listens to every word, tries to put every bit into their head. And I think, what does that person want to hear? And that's what I say. So, Michael Snydell, you saw some movies this year. Which would you say was your eighth most favorite movie. You know, my, my eighth most favorite film is, is something that kind of got lost uh, similarly for kind of uh, categorization problems, and that is Jennifer Fox's HBO feature film, The Tale. Um, so this has been – first off, this has been an odd it, – it's been an odd awards thing because – in my eyes, at least, Elizabeth Debicki and Laura Dern give uh, two of, of the best performances of the year. But unfortunately, because it's on HBO, it, it has kind of gotten into this weird uh, kind of uh, pratfall of not knowing whether to be discussed in terms of the Emmys or the Oscars. <laughs> I think as a result, it's kind of been lost in, in the shuffle. Uh, in, in both cases, I, I think the tale is. Uh, I, I will. I will keep it keep it vague because I don't necessarily want to reveal all of the trick. Sounds too gimmicky because I, I think this is a smarter film than trying to pull the rug out uh, on someone. But uh, the tale is kind of a uh, biographical story of. Um, uh, the the woman or the woman Jennifer played by Laura Dern, um, who realizes that a number of memories in the past, uh, looking back on them and um, kind of talking to a number of people in the pursuit of shooting a, a, another uh, project, realizes that there is a lot of um, 
kind of unresolved trauma in her past. And, and, and it's a film that is interesting because it keeps jumping back and forth between uh, the modern times and um, these flashbacks. And it, and it plays with those things a lot. And, and, you know, to bring it back a little bit to Madeline's Madeline, I think, again, this is a film that very easily could could get into ghastly territory or could feel like it's trying to leverage a personal story for, uh, you know, trying to, trying to dramatize something that maybe shouldn't exist in the first place. And, you know, I can't, I, I, I can't, uh, disprove that notion when it comes to people who have faced trauma, like why they'd want to watch this again. But I nonetheless found it uh, incredibly clever and insightful, um, while also very uh, emotional um, in a way that really worked for me, even as nonetheless some of the things around the fringes uh, made me feel a little bit strange. Okay. I didn't see this one, so unfortunately, um, and the fact that it's also apparently on the Golden Globes, like uh, film se- or like TV series, I guess. Sure. Like, that's a shame because I've heard just people talk about this film a lot and mention how good it is, and the fact that it kind of got a quiet, um, non-theatrical release is kind of a shame, I think, but. I mean, you just never know what what kind of life some of these films are going to have after sure. the film festival circuit. And so I think the timing and what this film kind of says maybe scared some some of the buyers away from it. So, yeah, it's I, I mean, it was interesting, actually, our, our benevolent <laughs> Lord of Master uh, Jordan Rob like uh, reviewed this all the way back at Sundance and, mm-hmm. and that this was his. I think this was his like his number one film out of Sundance. Um, From what so I remember, it was his his number one out of Sundance. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so it's it, it's definitely had a strange path, and I and I will recommend just for reading real quick, Cam Austin Collins for Movie Club at Slate uh, wrote an interesting piece, uh, which with the headline uh, "The Tale Tackled the Most Urgent Subject of Our Moment." So why did it disappear? And that's a pretty interesting read. And I think that a lot of that, like you said, has to do with the fact that like it's at HBO, so it's not sure. a movie. Like it's clearly a film, but it's since it didn't get it, I know it's, it's not like an hour. <laughs> it's I know, it, uh, like I and I struggled with that when you when you showed me your list earlier. I was like, oh, the tale. Like I don't know if that counts. Sure. And um, it wouldn't have made my top ten anyway. It was part of the scrum fighting for number ten. <laughs> but um yeah i i struggled with that a bit i was like i don't know the tailman is that is that a thing does that can we do that so yeah we we did it yeah well it, one spoilers. of us did spoilers I, oh. I, I mean i think partly uh, yeah i think partly even that conflict is what made me think even more like this shouldn't get forgotten maybe something else could go here but you know i i want to remember this movie too absolutely all right bill graham your eighth most enjoyed film of the year that you saw. Hmm. Uh, burning. So, uh, 
I was told to seek this film out for Steven Yeun's performance and for kind of this weird nightmarish noir kind of feel and uh it really lived up to all of that hype and more as far as i'm concerned i really really enjoyed it um i think you know there's a lot of kind of mystery around like what this film is kind of about and like what it kind of says and i think a lot of that stuff is kind of better left unsaid um i wish we had done a podcast on it i tried to push for it but um as things just kind of go uh you know we all were busy and at the wrong times and so we just didn't have the ability to kind of coordinate and and get that film uh done on our podcast list but um i think this is definitely worth seeking out um just be prepared for a very slow burn it is not a very exciting film um i think the most exciting thing is seeing steven yoon uh drive his porsche automobile very slowly through uh the cityscape at times and that's like (laughs) the height of drama in this film uh but you know uh Porsches aren't bad to look at and so you got that to look forward to at least um yeah it's it's just really really fantastic and I love the mystery and I love how it kind of unveils itself um I love just the way that it starts and and where it goes from there so all right uh this is on my shame list <laughs> I I would still like to do this one honestly I I think there's a lot to to talk about, but I, I understand if that's not possible. I don't know how long we're going to do 2018 movies into 2019, but you know, there have been years where like, there's been a real long tail on the year. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. there's like nothing else coming out, um, yes. especially with how many films get released on like Christmas and then mm-hmm. like roll out sure. for the next two months. Um, so yeah, that's burning my, what are we on? Eight. Eighth most favorite <laughs> film that I saw this year. Start marking them out. <laughs> I've, I've got a spreadsheet going, but like I couldn't find the tab for it. And so I was like, eh, damn it. Stalling, stalling, stalling. <laughs> this is what we call vamping. Um, <laughs> when, when you're a professional who is stalling, it's called vamping. Yeah. Um, anyway, I don't have to vamp anymore. I could say my eighth most favorite film of the year for me personally that I had a chance to see before we recorded this podcast. Oh my God is Isle of Dogs by Wes Anderson. Oh, no. <laughs> Wait a second. Why did uh, you say, oh, no? Oh, that, that film's just no good. Oh, that oh. film is great. Um, uh. This film is great for anyone who loves dogs, anyone who loves Wes Anderson. And, um, yeah. And problematic, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, well, what isn't problematic? Um, yeah, that's true. Th- that's Wait, that's the new I, one that we well, added here we, to... Here we go. Here the stages, I, I, right? I, I I have something for you, Brian. Here we go. Let me let me try this Is out. Is it a slow uh, clap? No. <laughs> there it goes. Fantastic. It um, was that jeering or a cow? Was a field uh, of cattle, that was jeering. Okay. <laughs> I I do have a move one, but I, okay. it's not on there. Right. And uh, yeah. Anyway, so what was I going to say? Isle of Dogs, a uh, movie that I loved. I found it to be. Touching, heartwarming, well-crafted, perfect voice cast, blah, blah, blah. Um, here's a great thing that we can plug, though. On this year's uh, Film Stage Show Awards, 
there will be a new category and it will be like our best problematic fave. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so who knows? Isle of Dogs may be the movie that I have to put up for that. So yeah, Isle of Dogs, Wes Anderson. You know, Wes Anderson stop motion about dogs. If that doesn't hook you, then I don't know what will. So, Michael Snydell, we are back to you. And lucky yeah, my, number seven. What was your seventh favorite film of this year? Uh, my or seventh favorite film <laughs> of whatever year it is, uh, is, has already been mentioned, it is Andrew Pajowski's uh, Support the Girls. Yeah. Um, I, and Support the Girls is... You know, I, I Bajolski's someone who I've admired in the past, but I, I've always found uh, something about his form of empathy and his comedy just a little bit unwieldy. And support the girls to me, especially with the the, the main cast, right? Regina Hall, uh, Haley Lou Richardson, uh, Leia Delaria. Uh, Jungle Pussy, whose name I don't have, actual name I don't have in front of me, which is super cool. Uh, Shana McHale. And uh, amongst others was just like, it's an ensemble film that continually surprised me in the sense that it was, you know, a hangout film. Like I liked hanging out with these characters, but also I appreciated how much it it was interesting in implying a lot of things about uh, kind of larger political subsystems, you know, what, what it's like to work in a, you know, Hooters light style place and what it's even like in terms of the body language and dialogue that's required in talking to, you know, the people who um, visit there. I, I was just consistently surprised how sharp and how, like deeply invested this was in not only like a larger idea of, you know, like cheerleading these women, but like in trying to understand each and every one of them's like everyday life, (laughs) whether it's Regina Hall dealing uh, with, you know, her workers and her ex and these other things. This film really juggles so many things. And the end especially is, you know, it's a, it's a haunting image that I don't want to spoil, but it's also, you know, simultaneously optimistic and pessimistic in a way that, again, it feels, uh, at the risk of being reductive, like a, a good summation um, for this year. <laughs> All right. So that is the first double up that we've had. It's the first repeat. We had mm-hmm. 12. No, we had nine. We had nine things before we uh, we repeated ourselves. So let's see how that holds up. Bill Graham, what is your seventh most favorite film of the last year that you saw before we recorded this episode? <laughs> uh, it is Henry Cavill loading his arms. Yes. Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. Yeah, it's just that <laughs> gif. Just give me that gif forever and ever. Um, Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, I had a blast watching this film. Uh, it There's a moment with a char- car chase sequence that just made me absolutely giddy. Um, and there are some standout sequences throughout this film. Um, and 
you know, I've been watching The Crown and I didn't realize how much I would fall in love uh, yet again. Um, and this movie just really delivers the goods. I think it uh, stiff certainly like jumps off the deep end by the end, but I'm okay forgiving it for doing that because it is what it is. So, um, mission impossible fallout, uh, definitely an experience in a theater. Uh, this movie's fucking loud. It's often dumb. It's often fun. Uh, can't say enough good things about it. Um, yeah. Not to not to yuck your yum or anything, but I am never going to understand the widespread acclaim that this movie found. It's it's, it's okay. It's in our top ten for the site. I know, and it's I was also crazy. This <laughs> is really like, high up there. This was like the least fun Mission Impossible movie of all the Mission Impossible movies, sure. and I just don't get people, you know, contorting themselves to 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 make good words about it. I easily. I didn't. I didn't have to contort very hard. (laughs) I just fucking love this movie. But that's almost the worst. Is that like people are just like, yeah, it's so good, like the action and everything. And I'm like, did you see like any of the other Mission Impossible's? Like this one, I don't know, man. I think that it's. He needs to go back to just putting a new director in. That's all I'll say. Like every movie should be a new director. More than likely, that's going to happen. So get a Gareth Edwards. No, who's the fighty one? The one who made that movie (laughs) that we all hated. Uh, Gareth said no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which Gareth is it? Evans. It's Evans. Evans. There Edwards, we go. Edwards made Godzilla. Which yeah. is also a great movie. Um, you, anyway. You guys need to tell me the directors that you need in advance. I only can look up so many the, the things. Only way, the only way I can separate the two <laughs> is I remember the first name of Evan or uh, middle name of Evans. <laughs> yeah, first name. That's That would really help. Uh, the middle name of Evans and it's like you or something like that. And so all I remember is he does foreign language movies and I'm like, and he's got you in it and it's Evans and there it is. Boom. All right. I mean, whatever works, because it's definitely not working for me. Um, I just I looked up Gareth on IMDb, and the the both of them look very similar as well. So that's not helpful in the least. Anyway, let's talk about my next favorite film, a number seven choice that I am sure will not be controversial at all. It's Vox Lux. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yes. Vox Lux by a show favorite for either acting or directing Brady Corbet. This dude just makes movies that appeal to me. What can I say? I love it. Vox Lux, the story of a, a modern pop star and her ascent and her problems it's um this movie actually i i did something strange i when i realized that this movie was going to be on my top 10 i uh i swapped it out (laughs) for a star is born i i literally just like put it in a star is born's place and then knocked the star is born out (laughs) um that's that's all right it'll it'll probably get some love don't worry and i look i still love a star is born but like this movie made me realize like that my 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 enjoyment of a star is born 
was not as like deeply felt as I thought it was because the second I got the better version of that movie or even just a movie that like dabbled in similar themes and places, I was like, Oh, right. This is the movie that goes on my top 10 and a star is born handily hangs out with the rest of my honorable mentions, which is an honorable position as the name would imply, but it's just not top 10 worthy. Um, so this movie for all of its controversial, eye-poking, you know, hornet's nest kicking nonsense and and it's a fantastic Staten Island accents. Um Vox mm-hmm. Lux number 7 of the year, baby. Michael I'm Sandel. not going to yuck your yum. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that there would be a reaction. Michael Sidell. What do you tell us about your number 6 most favorite yes. film that you saw that was made in 2018 and released in 2018 that you saw before we did this podcast yeah my number six is uh hirokazu uh korita's uh korita's uh shoplifters mm-hmm. which is a, is a film that um you know it was treated with uh, quite a few hosannas out of uh, a can and uh korita admittedly has been uh definitely on an uptick in the last few years um he's kind of a festival favorite but in particular his uh film in 2017 after the storm was one that really really worked for me which was about a a a gumshoe um dad who's trying to make it work with his with his uh, family after being gone for a long while and so what i like so much about kareda is is the way that he weaves kind of um social uh, humanist ideas into his kind of pet themes, which are all, always about a family member dying. <laughs> um, uh, sorry, always about a family member dying, a uh, divorce and the relationship between parent or especially father and son. So these are r- r- things that are constantly coming up in his films and shoplifters is, it's not necessarily a departure um, from the three or four films I've seen from him, but it is it is probably the most immediately infectious. Uh, it is true to the name about um, a uh, found family of the kids, teens, and adults who um, make their living stealing from others, and so. But what I think makes it so interesting is that for a while it is relatively um, it's relatively sunny, uh, and the the character relationships are very charming. And but I, I think what Kareda does is at a certain point he twists it and requires you to think about your subjective view of these characters you you've spent a long time with, and then ask you to think about it from a systemic point of view and how society views this found family it, like this group of people who don't have jobs don't have a set home don't have you know any number of the many things you need to really make a living or to provide and in offering both of those perspectives uh, I think it's mostly really successful uh, and and really kind of deceptively devastating uh, by the end. Um, so I, I, I don't know. There is, I, I will say, like a, a little certain safeness to some of this movie 
that I that I wish it just had a little sharper edge with some of the interactions. Um, but, but again, I, I really understand why a lot of people have fallen in love with this one. And uh, as such, like it's, it's definitely a movie that, um, uh, really moved me. All right. Bill Graham. You're number I six. just wanted to add, I, uh, I really dug that film. That's probably going to be on my honorable mention. Uh, it is absolutely wonderful. So, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know. You better decide soon. I was about to say, you've got five films left to figure it out. Um, (laughs) No, 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 no. I'm saying I may not ramble it off in time. Who knows? Uh, I gotcha. Um, I will say that that is on my list of shame. So Mm. Brian does not like reading subtitles. I fucking love (laughs) reading subtitles. Don't come at me with that, bro. (laughs) Anyway. um, It's not like Korean language films. (laughs) I mean, it's Japanese. Oh, wait, is it Japanese? Yeah. <laughs> Bill, didn't you see this movie? Huh? Yeah. Then how? Okay, it doesn't matter. Let's move on. Bill, your number six favorite film of the year that you saw before we recorded this. Uh, it is another uh, subtitled film. It's Roma. Um, I expect this to appear... on neither of your lists so i had to put it on mine uh i had to do some uh reactionary film choice (laughs) yes i had to do some swapping around um just narrowly beating mission impossible fallout (laughs) right you never know um here's the thing so uh, having watched this film having listened to y'all both like kind of be like meh it was it was okay um and then hearing other people kind of talk about it and hearing the praise they give it and like finding out that pretty much everybody that has given this film high praise also saw it in a theater like me is kind of wild and sad and disheartening and also like gives me hope. So there's a lot of things going on in this film. Uh, There's a lot of things going on outside of this film. Um, I think it is beautiful. I think it is wonderful. I think it deserves a lot of the praise that it's getting. I don't know if it's my favorite film of the entire year. Well, it's Um, quantifiably not. It is number six for you. uh, It could rise, but uh, not not today. Not right now. Um, You know, it. It's one of those things where you watch it and it just kind of lingers with you and it stays with you. And the more I've kind of heard people talk about it, the more I keep thinking about it, the more I just really, really fell in love with this film. Um, And yeah, I think I I don't even know if this thing is even playing in theaters right now. But but if it is, definitely go out of your way to try and seek this out. or like what a lot of people have suggested, which I think is is awesome, is just make it a fucking movie night and just like put your phone in the freezer or something and just like sit down and turn the volume up, turn the lights off and just fucking watch this movie in the biggest screen you can with the loudest sound you can. And hopefully you get you get a fraction of uh what my experience was at least um because it's worth it so all right there's roma by alfonso caron 
My number six favorite film of the year is the favorite. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Film by Yorgos Lanthimos, starring Olivia Coleman and Rachel Weiss and Emma Stone and Nicholas Holt, who <laughs> probably gets my uh, my choice for like best like my uh, maybe not best, but like performance I took the most delight in. Yes. Yeah. That guy fucking rules. <laughs> um <laughs> I um I got a chance to say that someone was construct by someone else the other day. And I was like giddy, just so happy that I was able to crib a line from this movie. Nice. Um I won't have that chance again until I suggest to someone that we race lobsters and then eat them. But yeah, this movie, it's a uh, it's a delight. It's funny, it's sharp, it's it, at the end it's like deeply harrowing and meaningful. The costumes are great, cinematography is great, production design is great. Um all of the actresses involved just give like the performances of their careers and you know, for some maybe that's less uh <laughs> for some maybe that's like less impressive than others, but uh for many of them it's like huge huge praise and this movie is just great the writing is fi- fantastic and um yeah just go out to see it find it wait for it on blu-ray it's uh this movie is so good though again this is the movie that my mother said um upon seeing the director's name he should be shot so <laughs> uh having having listened to a bunch of other people kind of review this um i've just so enjoyed hearing how much praise uh rachel vice's like wearing of of writing jackets has Uh been and just like how people are just like fuck yeah give me her in that outfit all day every day in every movie period yeah her like pirate looking outfit and then when she's got the lace like leather eye patch thing on (laughs) my god Just print out stills of this movie and put them all over my study. <laughs> anyway, that's the favorite, and it was indeed one of my favorites. Woo! Michael Snydell, we are now at the part where all these other films are fine, right? But now we're in the top fives. These are the <laughs> ones that really matter. Unassailable. Yeah. These are the ones that we look at and we go, yeah, those fucking movies. Those are the ones. All those other, like, has been, also rans. Nope. Number five, Michael Snydell. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure whether you were done yet. <laughs> I can go on, but it just feels exceedingly I, cruel at this point. It, it does. Um, I, I can talk about Alderman if you'd really like, but it's okay. Mm, um, Michael Snydell's number five favorite film of the year is a YouTube video of a city council <laughs> meeting from oh, Chicago. Jesus. No, those are boring as hell. Okay. I, anyway, um, my a, number five. A lot five. better than Widows. <laughs> My number five is Alice Royal Walker's Happy as Lazaro. Uh, so this was a film I saw back at uh, the Chicago International Film Festival, but not even a month afterwards, it actually came to Netflix. So you can watch this right now. Um, so Happy as Lazaro is uh, the the joking um, logline I used um, on the podcast that I did with Max, or the two-part podcast I did with Max O'Connell um, about the Chicago International Film Festival uh, was its being there if it was uh, directed by uh, Luis Bunuel. And I still kind of stand by that, though I, I recognize that that um, there's a little bit of uh, 
that that isn't like completely true in terms of both sensibilities. But so Happy Little Cesaro is is kind of an odd film to describe, and in, in the sense that it is at once kind of within a tradition of Italian neorealism, but then it is also very much uh, a, a fantasy and very allegorical. The the logic is. It doesn't really follow uh, traditional human logic. It's much more in how it makes its points. And I, I think what's fascinating about it is just how it continually keeps mutating throughout its runtime. Uh, the Lazaro of the title is kind of this uh, this ox-like uh, young man who very likely has a learning disability or something on these lines, but he's been taken in by this uh, family on this uh, tobacco plantation um, where he helps and is also <laughs> treated very poorly uh, by the people around him. But he is always just so giddy and happy-go-lucky and uh, just so dopey. But I, I think what's so interesting about this is the ways that it plays with uh, class satire and the ways – Again, it, it plays with Italian neorealism and then how it plays with time. Uh, both parts of this film are cleaved into entirely different uh, landscapes. One is kind of a, a, a kind of like a modern dystopian. One is very pastoral and uh, it, it feels very old world. And and both of those uh, b- both of those contradict in really interesting and clever and really fun ways. Um, so like while there is certainly a certain seriousness to all of this, it's also just w- some of the most giddy and uh, like lively filmmaking I've seen all year. And uh, Al- Alice Rollwalker, I have not seen her previous films, but. Uh, She's really just a, a performer to watch. I mean, she's uh, certainly had a rising profile over the last few years. But between this uh, and an- another film that's shortly coming out called A uh, Daughter of Mine, uh, which she's just fantastic in, uh, she's really just kind of an unbelievable uh, multi-hyphenate. So Happy as Lazaro. It's on Netflix. All right. Bill Graham, your fifth favorite film of the year that you saw before record this podcast Woo. um this is going to be first reformed by paul schrader um i predict that this film is not going to be on brian's list because i just remembered that he took it out no wait what? no no, that was Star is Born. So, wow. Um, How did I, wait a second. No, the rest of the podcast is just going to be us trying to figure out how you mixed up a Star is Born and First Front. Is it because they vaguely sound alike? Not at all. It's just two films that I know you really liked. And so I, conv- I confused myself because it was on my list. And so I thought, oh, yeah, this one's not going to be on Brian's, right? Because... <laughs> Yeah, and then I remembered, no, it was A Star is Born. So this is probably going to be on Brian's list. Uh, I'm predicting that now. Uh, anyways. <laughs> Wherever Great it is, start. I'm going to swap it out with A Star is Born just to Damn fuck you. with you. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, future proofing right here. If, if he does that, we will know. Um, 
this is a great film. Uh, truly, heartily cannot recommend this enough. Um, I have always been curious about where kind of religion uh, falls with uh, the dealing of our environment and how much we should take care of it and how much God is like has a plan and you know all of these questions and things like that um you know seeing kind of the republican base uh become increasingly christian oriented and also see them increasingly not give a shit about the environment is pretty stunning and so this film deals with a lot of things that i are kind of at the forefront of my mind at least uh in 2018 uh 2019 i'm sure is not gonna change all that much um and yeah this film really kind of digs at that it touches on uh the corporatization of church um religion in general and yeah it's it's fascinating it's incredibly well acted it's beautiful it's touching um just some of the best film work some of the best uh cinematography some of the best acting that i've seen this year um shout outs to pepto-bismol inside a whiskey glass like who knew that's what i needed in my life um but apparently that's what a lot of people really need so yeah this film is fantastic bill did you taint whiskey (laughs) (laughs) did did i what did i what did you taint whiskey is it i'm not sure what you're asking I, I, this is worse than confusing first reformed and a star is born if you actually had Pepto-Bismol in your whiskey. <laughs> I would have no. to agree with that, yes. <laughs> As a man who is helping to start a distillery, that would be deeply offensive to me. <laughs> All right. My number five most favorite film of the year. I had a real good time watching Bad Times of the El Royale. Ah, okay. Um, we did a whole episode on this where I eloquently and valiantly defended this film against even the slight complaints of Bill Graham and Dan Mecca. So if you want to hear me talk at length about it, go find that. Um, this is a movie that I bought like the day after New Year's Day, I think, and I uh, have watched twice since then. It's just such a damn fun, fine, great, awesome time at the movies. And luckily, now that I own it and I'm watching it at home, I can, in fact, sing along with the soundtrack. Uh, This is a movie that has perhaps my favorite moment in a movie of the year. If you've seen the movie, you'll know what I mean when I say 123. Um, Other than that, yeah, it's just fantastic. It's a great showcase for all these great actors. And um, can't wait to see what comes uh, next. It's it's a hell of a episode of Lost for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes indeed. Um I know that Michael has feelings on that film. We're never going to talk about it because we want to remain friends. So let's move mm-hmm. on. Michael Snydell. That's a good rule for a number of things with us. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, my uh, four. four. Yeah, I can count definitely. Um, my fourth favorite film of the year that is you've seen. I, that I've seen. No, that I have before this seen podcast is uh, Deborah Granick's Leave No Trace. Oh. Um, 
like like Bill, I, I was really kind of uh, I, I was enamored with uh, Winter's Bone years ago with its like really interesting combination of kind of Ozark's authenticity and also its kind of pulpy affectations. And that was something, it was on my radar, I believe it was in, I don't know, maybe my top 15 that year or something like that. But uh, Deborah Granick, as, as Bill said, like she has unfortunately had a difficult time trying to get another fiction film made. But Leave No Trace is, fascinatingly enough, does feel like a uh, an expansion of the um, of the ideas in her most recent documentary, uh, Stray Dog, which is uh, about this lovely teddy bear of a man, uh, or sorry, this lovely teddy bear of a man who is a biker and who is dealing with uh, PTSD and um, and uh, living in kind of these communities that will have him and i'll leave no trace uh, likewise is is really interesting in the sense that it's about a father and daughter who are living on the outskirts excuse me the outskirts of a system and uh in that sense it makes a good companion with uh, shoplifters in the sense uh, again it's about found families and um the difference between how individuals seem to live and how we judge that and how society judges that as well. But um, Thomas and McKenzie uh, for my money is, is probably uh, has what has the, yeah, probably the best performance I've seen this year. And especially coming from a first time actress, it's, it's just unbelievable in uh, her sense of control, but also the vulnerability that she lets through in so many of these scenes that are almost kind of incidental to the plot, you know, whether it's uh, them being in a, in a community where she has to take care of a rabbit or, uh, you know, these two kind of uh, this father and son who are kind of vagabonds and especially the father who just has incredible difficulty living in what could be called like uh, general society. It's uh, it's just moving all the way through and um, just really careful to uh, not make this, you know, like misery porn or revel in some of their hardships. Instead, it very much becomes about let's try to understand these people, you know, who uh, who don't live the way that most people we know live. Uh, and in that sense, I think it's just a, an incredible achievement and also a, a joy to watch. All right. Bill Graham, your number four film of the year. Actually, wait a second. Is that only the second double up that we've had? I believe I so. Does. Yeah. Support the girls and leave no trace. All right. Bill Graham, your number four of the year. Uh, this is a star is born. Um, are you sure that, it's not first reformed? Yes. Okay. Uh, it's star is born. Uh, one of my favorite films of the entire year. Um, whether it's the music, whether it's the performances, the cinematography. Um, I think, uh, despite what Jacob Seaver says, this is definitely elevated beyond like an NBC, uh, Maver TV movie or some shit like that. Way to just uh, slam someone from the Slack channel. Eh? 
you know, love you, Sever. <laughs> uh, this is definitely not that. Um, this has art artistry behind it. This definitely has a deft touch. Um, does it kind of fumble and play with what it says about pop stardom? Sure, maybe maybe there's a longer conversation to be had than just even our own podcast about that kind of situation. I think uh, Lady Gaga starring in that certainly has something to say about that. But um, all together, I think this film is just utterly fantastic i was not really looking forward to this i was not really thinking that this was going to be very good um you know we've seen uh actors come out and do their kind of passion projects before and i think as, as some podcasters uh mentioned sometimes they uh should not make those passion projects maybe they should uh just keep them to themselves uh this one i'm glad bradley cooper did this he went out of his way and uh you know he really threw himself into it into the role into the performance into the voice into the music and everything like that and you know if you want to believe that he learned how to play guitar and he dropped his voice several octaves to play this role um that's incredible but it also sounds like a bunch of bullshit but just the same the performance is there on screen and i can't fault it for that um it's it's incredible to see what he's done uh because for me he's always going to be kind of that that asshole in um wedding crashers Mm -hmm. and so like to see him pull off this performance and for me to actually feel it and like and not just see that that character kind of transformed and instead just see a wholly realized different person altogether is is pretty remarkable um and yeah uh some of the songs are fucking fantastic and i will always listen to them probably from here on and uh yeah it's it's and you know as much as we say about kind of the way this film kind of withers towards the end and kind of uh crawls to through the finish line um you know something has to be said about that first hour and just how fucking perfect it is and how everything is just it's just sailing so smoothly um and yeah i just i just really 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 enjoyed this film this was powerful from the get-go and just never really let go so all right my number four is actually michael's number four. Oh, leave no trace what <laughs> not only is this God, film now the first to reach a status of having been chosen by all of us but michael and i both chose it at the same spot Stay out of my brain. I refuse. It's warm. Um, <laughs> it's warm in that brain. Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, it's a fantastic movie. Let's keep uh, talking. I, 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 that's, that's the oddest compliment I've ever heard for anybody talking about someone else's brain, I guess. Okay. Got a, you got a nice warm brain there. Um, anyway, <laughs> so what was yeah, I going to say? Deborah Granick, fantastic direction, great writing. Um, we all know that I'm a, a Ben Foster child all the way through and <laughs> yes, you got it. You, you did it and you made it, you made it not sound weird. I love it. Okay. 
Yeah, no, I don't understand what the uh, what the problem is. I'm a I'm a Ben Foster child. Um, <laughs> what was I? Yeah, Ben Foster's great. Thomas and McKenzie is a freaking revelation. Um, this is the second film on my list that uh, you know has a plot that involves heavily rabbits, and um, it's a it's a great film. It's it's a great film for the reason that all you guys said it was, and I just love almost like with support the girls, just the level of humanism and empathy and and just utter you know commitment this film has to showing these people without like doing something weird like passing judgment or, or trying to treat them as a uh, an oddity it's it's a really good just straight down the barrel while still getting emotional affect out of it uh, examination of these characters and um you should all check it out it is now on amazon prime <laughs> all right now, I know that I said that the number five is where it really gets big, but as we all know, in the Olympics, you know, only three people get medals. So uh, forget all the other losers that we've already talked about. Here we are. <laughs> top three time. Michael Snydell. Well. What is the first in your trifecta? Well, this is going to reveal future episodes, so I guess I just can't say it. Um, <laughs> is it Vice? What's happening? <laughs> oh, yeah. Vi- Vice. No, Vice is my number one. Come on. Let's be honest. <laughs> Um, my number three is, uh, Barry Jenkins, if, if Beale Street could talk. Um, and this has been, this has been a film I've been sitting with now for about, uh, I put two, two months. And, um, I knew going into this, um, James Baldwin is, uh, unfortunately a massive blind spot for me, but I was really taken with the uh, the documentary from um, 2017, I am not your Negro, which was about uh, James Baldwin and specifically a uh, and kind of adaptation of the Devil Finds Work, I believe. I, I, either way, Baldwin is someone I've become vaguely familiar with, but nonetheless have been uh, g- kind of enraptured with with the prose that I've seen. And if Beale Street could talk. Is, is fascinating to me because it's uh, especially coming after Moonlight, which admittedly was a film that the first time I didn't particularly like and the second time uh, was, was taken with it. Uh, but that was a very internal film. And that was a film that I understood um, a, a lot of people's hesitations with its structure and with uh, the amount of time or I should say, not the amount of time, but the sparse amount of time it's uh, spent with kind of each incarnation of a single person. And if Beale Street Could Talk is fascinating because it's extremely external. From the first moment, this is this is a film that, uh, through Nicholas Bertel's just fantastic uh, score, I, I, it's... Uh, it's up there for me with last year's Phantom Thread, uh, Johnny Greenwood's uh, Phantom Thread mm. score. Um, and um, it, it's a film that is just absolutely bursting with a sense of, of romance and hope and optimism. And I know that uh, Powell uh, Pulaski is Cold War is a, is a film that people have a lot of people have brought up as one of the great romances of the year. Uh, for for me, I think this is the most romantic film I've seen. I don't know. In, I, I don't want to be hyperbolic and say this decade, but either way, I 
want to say that the ways that this film infuses the characters, um, the characters' problems and their thoughts, and, and infuses it with such urgency and and verve, is something that continually. Uh, kind of blew me away while also the story being uh, so uh, so narrow and, and just kind of like a very straightforward. So it, it really is such a, again, a fascinating uh, turnaround from Moonlight in terms of its narrative and in terms of its look and feel. And there are, I think, a few moments that are, are, are clunky, in this specifically with a few performers who feel a little out of place, but nonetheless, the more I think about this film, I I can't help but think of like various monologues and the way that Barry Jenkins and cinematographer, um, James Laxton just, uh, you know, comparable to the greats that we associate with melancholy and romance, like uh, Wong Kar Wai or uh, Fassbender, or um, or even Douglas Sirk, like uh, there, this this brand of, of melodrama is um, I, it's just we don't get it these days, and it's uh, I'm I'm kind of amazed we got a we got a film like this, and the performances, uh, the main ones, especially Kiki Lane, uh, Stephen James, Coleman Domingo. Uh, Regina King, they're almost uniformly uh, excellent. So yeah, this was kind of a surprise for me as someone who took a long time to warm up to Moonlight, like three months. Uh, This was instantly something uh, that I I knew was something special. All right. Number three, Bill Graham. I need to get around to finishing that, but um, I have not even a, started it yet. That there's, there's, material. yeah, there's, there's a, a sequence that happens inside uh, the drawing room when uh, one family invites another family over. Yes. that just you can cut it with a knife. You're just like, holy shit, this is a movie, <laughs> and, and he does not cut away. <laughs> no, uh, that is that is amazing. Holy shit, that's a that's a sequence and a half right there um that like as soon as that ended i was like i need to watch this with my girlfriend (laughs) so yeah um anyways uh my number three is going to be alex garland's annihilation um a film that i just this is everything i want from science fiction uh it's weird um it is beautiful it has a fuck ton of terrific actresses in it um it's got just about everything that i I, really kind of ticks the box uh came out in february nobody fucking saw this movie um shame on you shame 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 uh go see this movie alice garland is a fucking boss uh he wrote directed this based off of like the legend around it is like he he read the book once and then was just like i know how to make that into a movie and went off and wrote a script and a lot of people gave him shit for natalie portman's character not being fucking uh native american even though that's kind of revealed in another book and he he's just like whatever you know? yeah that was a great that was a great story because i was right with him on that because i had only read the first book 
Yeah. And I was like, I don't remember her being like, I don't remember anyone having any kind of physical traits pegged to them. And then they're like, it's in the third book. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. I did not read that one. I'm I'm sorry that he didn't read on. Like, I think he just wanted to fucking make this weird ass movie and he made this weird ass movie and it's fantastic. And it has a ton of different actresses that are you know, like different backgrounds and everything like that. And people still wanted to shit all over it. And it drives me crazy. Um, anyways, uh, this film is absolutely fantastic. It has one of the scariest sequences I think I've ever seen. Um, it has just hair raising special effects. Um, it's, it, it ends with the mystery, but by God, like, you know, I, Ever since Alex Garland has kind of jumped on the scene, whether you like his movies or not, they have something there. There's just something something about his ideas and his films that just really kind of grab your attention and grab your imagination. Um, even, even to something like Dread that just seems on the surface like such an easy and just kind of like comic book movie and just, you know, straightforward and down – you know, and it turns and it morphs and it becomes a lot of different things. And this film definitely does that as well. Um, yeah, Annihilation, I can't recommend it enough. Um, it's such a weird and fascinating film. Hearing a lot of people kind of towards the end of the year give it some appreciation was really heartening. And yeah, I, I, I just, I wish more people had seen this movie. I think. I, I think just the way it was released was just really, really weird. And, you know, they didn't really build off of the momentum that they kind of had going off of X, X Machina and anything else that he's kind of behind. So I don't know what the fuck happened, but it's out there. So, yeah. I think it's on Hulu and Prime, actually. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't understand why it's not on Netflix here in the U.S. Like, I I guess Rights. that dis- I don't know. Yeah, that yeah that distribution deal. Like, they sure. Netflix at some point should have just been like, and now we'll take all the rights. And it's just like, yeah, why didn't they just fucking do that? I don't Maybe know because they only like releasing bad movies. You know, uh, I don't know. though I can't um, say that because Roma's not bad, yeah. but it's you know it's not mute. Happy as Lazaro rolls too. <laughs> yeah. They're coming up in the world, but they still release a lot of trash. Um, they do, unfortunately. Let's talk about a filmmaker who's never made a bad movie. Uh, the Old Man and the Gun by David oh. Lowry is my number three. This is a charming as fuck movie. I have watched it more times than I can count, honestly, because when you get a bunch of screeners and your family are like, let us watch a movie with you, sometimes you pick the one that you know they're not going to hate. Um my parents, mm-hmm. upon seeing mm-hmm. The Old Man and the Gun, did not say that David Lowry should be shot, so it's obviously mm-hmm. better than The Favorite. Mm. Um, Seal of approval. Yeah. Um, again, my, my mother saw a bunch of these movies, and my mother is not a moviegoer. Uh, for Leave No Trace, she was upset that that was where it ended. She liked it, but she wanted to know more, and she would have liked a scroll at the end of it that said what happened to him, which, you know, Fine. Um, again, she wanted to straight up murder Yorgos Lanthimos. You should have shown her Annihilation. Shoulda. Didn't get a screener for Annihilation. They really didn't make a push for it. No, that. they Same. did not. 
No. Um, she liked A Star is Born. So there's that. She, again, as I said during, I think, the Vice podcast, she just in, in shitting on the favorite said, at least it's better than La La Land, which she called a movie that was trying to be a movie. Mm. <laughs> which is still just the best. It's like calling your friend mm. half a person. Anyway, mm. The Old Man and the Gun is a movie that is all movie. It coasts off the charm of its two leads, Sissy Spacek and Robert Redford. And it's just uh it's it's a, it's a good little caper film. It's uh, you know, like a little over 90 minutes long, gets in, gets out, does its job, tells a charming story in a charming way. And I think that that honestly, honest to god, is a a skill that much of Hollywood lacks nowadays. Sure. And it is great to just see a movie that comes in and uh and can rock your world for a little bit and then leave you uh, walking out of the, the the theater with a smile. Woo. Yeah, so that's The Old Man and the Gun by David Lowry. And his next film, I believe, is Peter Pan? Oh, is that no. next? No, Michael. You can't send us that. Who's, <laughs> no. Who's Michael? Oh, no. Wait, what? <sighs> Bill, why are you upset at Michael? I don't understand what's happening. You, read read the chat. That oh, my God, you can't us. be... <laughs> <laughs> First of all, it's bad radio to send one another stuff over the <laughs> Skype chat to, to then have us react to it while we're talking about something else. But yes, Christopher McQuarrie closes deal to direct back-to-back Mission Impossible films, an exclusive for Variety. Mm. This is a terrible idea. When did this happen? Like, like this is this is not just like even as a fan of of these films, they need to be handed off to someone else and be what the fuck back to back. Yeah, like that the is, the Pirates of the Caribbean films. That's nutty. That never heard him. <laughs> that's like I uh, having listened to what is it like four hours of Christopher McQuarrie podcast on like the Empire thing. Uh, I think he's going to have an aneurysm before he finishes these back to back because it sounds like he just beat himself to hell getting this one made. And I just can't imagine why he would ever sign up to do two more of these. What the fuck does Tom Cruise give people? I don't understand. I don't understand. I but. I'll I'll be there. I'll watch. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a good tangent, but uh, we do need to finish up our lists. <laughs> I I thought it was relevant <laughs> to a conversation five minutes ago. So you know, <laughs> relevant-ish. Anyway, here we are with uh, fifteen minutes left to record <sighs> this podcast. In each of us with two movies left, we are at the yeah. penultimate film of the year. Michael Snydell, what is your number two almost winner for your favorite film of the year? My number two film is Lucretia uh, Martel, Martel's uh, Zama, which is a um, – I, I was a little bit familiar with Lucretia Martel uh, because I had previously seen her film The Headless Woman, which is a, a pretty fascinating uh, a political allegory about a woman who runs over someone <laughs> and how she deals with that. Um, and uh, Zama is – an adaptation of a uh, of a, of a novel by Antonio de Benedetto, which is um, is pretty as I understand, is pretty well known by people from the country. Um, and it, it's it's a book 
that is essentially about a a man named Zama, who is a uh, a Spanish office officer in the 17th century, who wants to get off the island he's on, uh, called Asuncion, and go to Buenos Aires to see his family. And so it is it is a very simple story, but it's so fascinating to me. I actually wrote about this one for our uh, film stage site list because it almost has the the feeling of like mist. Like there's just a sense of such a, a, a at once a precision and a lack of strain that it it's like a fever that you're not even aware of. And, and the film is, is so interesting because for so long it, it's it's this idea of Zama just trying to to assert authority in a place where civilization doesn't exist. So they're just making up the rules as they go along and are asserting themselves as the conquerors and as, you know, people coming to them with various things, whether it's sick family members or dealing with uh, a problem with, a, you know, uh, two farming families or something. And they are the, you know, they're the jury, the judge and the executioner in these cases. And so it's fascinating to watch this person who y- you assume has any sense what they're doing, but is really just making it up while they're going along and is really just a very pathetic person. So watching Zama just kind of, um, uh, it's this fascinating thing of the mundanity of watching this like total lack of societal mores and, um, and, and Martel's incredible filmmaking, which is just which is just kind of imbued with this ethereal presence that is never fully acknowledged and never fully asserts itself, but is just always kind of uh, blanketing over the whole experience. It's in in a sense to, I, I feel like I maybe haven't given a good sense of a comparison, but it reminded me a lot of uh, Lissandro Alonso's uh, Yoha from I don't know, 2016, 15. I think you've seen, uh, Brian, you've talked about Yaha before, haven't you? I thought it was called Hoo-Ha. Or... I, I, I don't know. I don't actually know how to pronounce it. With Viggo Mortensen, right? Yes. Yeah. But uh, by the way, that certain like essence of watching an adventure that doesn't have a beginning and an end and just seems to stretch into the infinite. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's a really fascinating experience. Um, and it's one that I know uh, I know is not going to work for everyone, but I was really entranced by it. Like I, I was watching some, uh, yeah, it, like I, I was watching something I wasn't supposed to. Um, I, I think it is on Prime as well. If anyone is interested in watching it. All right, with thirteen minutes left, or no? Yeah, no, we have three minutes now. With eight minutes left, Bill Graham, <laughs> I had like a, yeah, obviously uh, we need to end this soon because my brain is malfunctioning. With eight minutes left, Bill Graham, what is your second most favorite film of the year that you saw before we recorded this podcast? 
uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, this film was a latecomer. Uh, I did not know to expect this kind of level of greatness. Um, considering that we got Black Panther, considering that we got uh, Avengers Infinity War, which both were, for my money, uh, two really top-notch uh, superhero flicks, for this to just come in and just absolutely obliterate it in my mind uh, was truly something special and deserved this kind of placement. Um, I think our podcast kind of speaks for itself when uh, y'all haters of, of, of superhero films just in general were both just like, <laughs> yeah, no, this is really fucking good. Like, uh, it's it's real good. And I think pretty much everybody that I've heard talk about this film has just been in awe of it. And visually, uh, the way it tells its story, um, emotions, just it, this film's got it all. And and then the music on top of it. Uh, it's, it's really something special. And uh, yeah, that's it. All right. I, I still can't believe that movie exists. Like it's... <laughs> I, I can only because like, you know, we're reaching superhero saturation and they're going to start doing interesting things now. Like, mm. Well, they've yeah. said that for a while. <laughs> That's true. Um, but now we're actually like doing it. I think like sure. the fatigue is making them be interesting anyway, because we now only have six minutes. My number two, Annihilation. Woo! Yeah. Fuck yeah. This movie fucking rocks. They've got weird shark alligators, a uh, half human bear. Bunch of craziness. People turn into plants. This movie is like pure, honest to goodness, like great sci-fi. Just like, oh, like chef's kiss. Just like so many ideas bundled up and confounded into this pile of nonsense that is just so perfect. Um, I think the acting is all stellar. And uh, again, I just love the amount of thought and attention to detail that Alex Garland puts into like all of his scripts. You know, this movie reminds me of a slightly less misanthropic sunshine. And um, we all know I love sunshine. We all know I love misanthropy. So that's definitely a good thing. So Annihilation. My number two. Michael Snydell. Five minutes left. What is your number one film of the year? My number one is Paul Schrader's First Reformed. Oh, Nice. Uh, so First Reformed is is a film that uh, I saw all the way back in um, April, I believe. I, I, yeah, I, I saw it. I, it was the last film at a film festival. And let me tell you, that crowd had no idea what the fuck to make of it. <laughs> but it is nonetheless a film that at that moment I found in, incredibly entertaining, uh, funny, strange and also very familiar in in a very comforting way. But after now seeing it, I think I've seen it four times now this year. It's, it's been a film that has become a really interesting um, barometer for people's view of the afterlife and and faith. I've had some of the most productive conversations about, uh, about what it means for personal responsibility, uh, what it means to be a spiritual person, the the notion of you know organized religion as it exists with a uh, whether you are supporting it by you know 
you know, it's supporting something implicitly rather than explicitly amongst other things that like, this has just been the movie that I've come back to over and over and is almost a, you know, uh, to be hyperbolic again, it is almost miraculous in the way that it's at once so tight, but seems so much larger on the inside. Like when you look at the script for this film, it does in a way seem very schematic. It seems very to the point, you know, before it takes a, a very explicit turn into the kind of uh, fantasmagoric. But like it, what I find so interesting after thinking about it so long is the way that each part of this film, not just Ethan, Th- Ethan Hawke's masterful, uh, metaphorical, just kind of wonderfully grandiose performance – as uh, a Reverend uh, Toller? No, Toller? Oh, geez. What's his first name, Brian? Reverend? What is Toller. It? But, but what's his first name? Oh, I don't know. All right. Well, either way. Anyways, <laughs> it, it, there's Ethan Hawke's performance, but it's also the way that the many other qualities of this film, like Philip Ettinger, who pl- has one sequence where he talks about living in a world with global warming and how he doesn't want to bring a child into it or Cedric, the entertainers just wonderfully, um, wonderfully sharp and kind of barbed performance as a, uh, director of a mega church who's dealing with this, uh, with, uh, Toller, who's very much a small fry in a very large system. Just the way that all of these things work and the ways that it works with a framework that feels almost immortal and, and eternal. Like Schrader himself has said that he's, you know, has been very clear about all the things he stole from other films in the past. But while camera techniques and certain structural things are reminiscent, that doesn't get at how new and present and urgent and emotional and how much this just fundamentally grapples with the idea that sometimes there aren't answers, not as a stupid like construct of an ambiguous ending or anything like that, but literally getting into the idea that two individuals can see a sequence and take away two entirely different things. And I think that's, I, I think that's a, a truly beautiful thing and a thing that makes First Reformed a great film and my number one film of 2018. All right. Bill Graham, you have less than a minute. What is your number one film of the year? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that to Bill. <laughs> hey, I'm no, not even going to get to say mine. <laughs> uh, the favorite, motherfuckers. Oh, yeah. shit. Great, great film. Uh, hilarious. Can't have enough of this film uh i cannot watch or cannot wait to watch this and own this and show this to other people and just blow their mind uh this is fantastic movie done all right unfortunately there's no time for me to give my number one favorite film of the year so we're just gonna have to do it another time (laughs) i am not joking (laughs) are you serious yeah no i could be i can stretch i can maybe do another five minutes um my favorite film of the year is first reformed um what more can be said about this film after michael said what he said and as a as a religious man 
Um, this film says a lot to me. There's a lot of stuff going on. Ethan Hawke is fantastic as a man who is like conflicted in wrestling with his faith. And uh, not only that, but like his academic interest in his faith. And um, yeah, I think this movie raises a lot of interesting questions and shows that the only way to respond to our modern world is by either sinking into faith or madness or both. And who knows what the triggering mechanism for either of those things will be. This is a fantastically sharply written movie. And uh, Ethan Hawke is is just firing all, on all cylinders. Every cylinder that every other previous movie has put into him, he is able to utilize for this one. And it is stellar. So, to wrap up, um, at least two of us chose to support The Girls, Annihilation, and The Favorite. And the only movies that all of us chose were Leave No Trace and First Reformed. Ooh. Yeah. Interesting. Wonderful. Quite so. So, let us, I'm going to set a timer, rapidly <laughs> roll through our honorable mentions. Who would like to go first? I'll go first. All right. Bill Graham, 30 seconds on the clock. Go. Uh, a simple favor is fantastic. Don't at me, Michael. And uh, the sequence with the motorcycle and the squirrel and or not the squirrel, the fucking raccoon and uh, inside the Caesar uh, seizure vault thing. Yeah. Incredibles 2 deserves mention, period. I'm done. Okay. All right, great. 26 seconds. Michael Snydell. Uh, 30 seconds the on the wind. clock, go. Uh, the Other Side of the Wind, Night is Short, uh, Walk On Girl, Let the Sunshine In, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Private Life, Can You Forgive Me, uh, Western, uh, Hell County This Morning, The Miseducation of Cameron Post, uh, and Upgrade. You liked movies? <laughs> Just in general, you liked movies. I saw 140 of them. There were a lot that were bad. <laughs> All right. 30 seconds on the clock for me. Go. I have Incredibles 2, A Quiet Place, The Tale, which made it on there despite the fact that I'm still struggling with whether or not it counts. Hereditary, Star is Born, Roma, Game Night, Thoroughbred, Spider-Man of the Spider-Verse, Creed 2, Black Klansman, Revenge, You Were Never Really Here, The Sisters, Brothers, The Commuter, Red Sparrow, Sicario Day, The Soldado, The Children Act, and The Meg, and I guess that's where I can stop because after that I have to start making excuses. Okay. Uh, list of shame. I shouldn't have to really... Brian? Did you you like you were never really here? I thought I thought we were all that like was the really one, that was the one that I kept flip flopping on because I'm like okay. maybe I love it but maybe I like wish that it were something else and so I think I've decided I mean like I think if you were to put a number to all those it's like twenty okay but it's still it's a good movie I think people should watch it okay anyway uh, lists of shame uh, shouldn't have to put a timer on this for me it's Beale Street the Rider. And uh, all the other ones that I said when you guys said stuff like 24 <laughs> frames and eighth grade and burning. Bill Graham, any others on your list of shame? Uh, Beale Street and a, a shit ton of documentaries I really wanted to get to this year that I just haven't had a chance to. Um, Won't You Be My Neighbor and Free Solo kind of tops among them. All right, Michael Snydell, what is your list of shame? Uh, two docs I didn't get to, Bisbee 17, Shirkers, The House That Jack Built, which I'm mm. probably going to get into this week, uh, The Day After, the new Hong Sang Su film, uh, Summer 1993, which was actually on uh, Jordan in Jordan Rapp's top 10, and uh, one other doc, Did You Wonder Who Fired the Gun? 
All right. Excellent. Any other final wrap-up thoughts for this year before we uh, head out, gentlemen? 2018, good or bad? <laughs> I would say... 2018, real fucking good. Pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. I don't know. Now that, I, now that you're saying that, I'd have to go through my letterbox and say, like, did I like enough of these movies to balance out all the ones that I didn't? Meh. I, I think I think I my think so. I think my top I think my top five are heavy hitters and will always outweigh anything else that I could watch this year or last year. That is indeed a strong showing, then. And uh, we're not done talking about 2018. We have Beale Street, which we will talk about at some point um, in the next couple of weeks. In addition to probably a bunch of other films, as the doldrums happen. Uh, our next conversation will be a review of Glass, the newest film from N. Night Shyamalan, the sequel to Split and Unbreakable. Uh, spoilers for Split, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's it. That's all for today. Let us remind you to go to patreon.com slash the film stage show and give us your money so that you too can be part of our Slack channel so that Bill can call you out on air for your opinions. <laughs> In addition... <laughs> Go I'm to just movie. thinking about this real quick. Has Glass? Has there ever been a movie before Glass whose existence is a spoiler? No. Uh, uh, I guess Avengers, Avengers Infinity War four or whatever the fuck <laughs> this thing maybe. is. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Well, I don't know if Endgame is a well. Yeah, I guess because if you don't see a person in the trailer, but I don't no, think the bad. existence <laughs> of the movie. Well, I mean. Uh, I'm gonna yeah, say but, I mean, no. You, you would have you would have to know more, a little bit more about Glass than just knowing that it is something in between these two films. But I think like, the character posters hmm. would make you say like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, split <laughs> split is related to that. Yeah, but then but then my thing is, oh shit. If you watch anything about Avengers, then you know Thanos won at the end of Avengers Infinity War, which is obviously a giant spoiler for that film. Um, yeah, I don't know. Eh. Okay. I think Spider-Man Far From Home is kind of a spoiler. Sure, that he's back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would think so. Um, anyway, <laughs> interesting question. Thank you, Michael Snydell. Um, you can also support us by going and trying out movie. For 30 days by going to MUBI.com slash filmstage. Bunch of great Kill movies Bill on there. Volume 2? I guess because he, <laughs> he's, he didn't he's still alive. She hadn't yeah, told him yet. Yeah. You no, know, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. Anyway, okay. um, I would think that Kill Bill Volume 1 spoils itself, though, because you got to assume that she's sure, not going to sure. kill him at the end of Volume 1. Yeah, 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 yeah. There, there's a lot going on there. Obviously, we just need to have a separate two-hour-long podcast. Sure. <laughs> Roundtables are coming back. All of this. Um, what was I going to say? Movie. They had he. Yeah, movie has two films by two directors that made our lists: Andrew Brzezowski and Alfonso Cuarón. So check those out. In addition to checking out the movies that we talked about and all the places they can be found, again, for your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Uh, and other than that, email us, podcast at filmstage.com. Find us on Twitter at Filmstage Show. Find us on Facebook, search for The Filmstage Show. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. And, gen- uh, yeah, let's uh, let's tell the fine people where you can be found between now and the next episode. Let's start with Bill Graham. Uh, you can go... 
find me coaching my CrossFit class right now uh, on Twitter at CableBFG and, uh, yeah, on the Slack channel, uh, hitting up Seaver. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Michael Snydell. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Snydell and uh, on Letterboxd, where you can see if you'd like a full ranked list of everything I saw this year. Likewise, for me, you can find me on Letterboxd with a full ranked list of everything I saw this year at Brian J. Rowan, my personal site, brianjrowan.com, also dearfilm.net. You can find me on Twitter at Brian J. Rowan. You can find me on Instagram at Brian J. Rowan. And that is all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Oh, actually, my review of The Upside is on thefilmstage.com. And I will also have a written review of Glass Up if you would like spoilers for our podcast. Again, that's filmstage.com. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Tune in next time. Dedicated to the one I love. Yeah. No, oh, they, no. They're, oh, yeah, they're, they're just the cutest cats on earth. No, flat-faced cats are gross. I like, I love New Girl, but the fact that Winston loved that flat-faced cat so much really <laughs> threw me off. I love, I like, love anything with a smushed face. Anything uh, that no. that face no longer resembles what it should resemble. I'm I like, like a, that. I like a good regal visage on my pets. You know, <laughs> like even my lizard has like a very distinctive face. I think the the other cats that I really like are um, I think they're call, they're not yeah they're called Persian cats so they're kind of yeah. like Siamese they're a little chatty but I think they're not as fucking weird and I think they shed a little bit less and stuff like that so my I wife like <clears throat> got this cat from a person who was visiting the coffee shop that she was at a local mm-hmm. who was like hey my cat had kittens who wants one and mm-hmm. so. She's always wanted a cat. She used to have cats. And so she's like, can I get this cat? And I said, yeah, why not? She brings home this adorable, tiny-ass cat with the world's largest ears. We think it's a tabby. It is a Bengal, which is a a cat that is like three generations removed from like a Vietnamese jungle cat. (laughs) And it is loud. It is uh, a fighter. Um, (laughs) it It is exceedingly clever. And it is attracted to running water. It oh, is Jesus. the most asinine pain in the running ass water. <laughs> it's so annoying. <laughs> the only thing that's good about it is it's like perfect with dogs and it's perfect with small children. Mm-hmm. Which I guess are the two most important things. But like, seriously, this cat is a fucking nightmare. <laughs> I hope we're recording this and this can be another tangent we put Oh, there. we're 100% recording this, yeah. Great. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, you asked for this. This is your fault. <laughs> Did you you think it would be about movies or even the act of film criticism? (laughs) Incorrect. It's about pets, I guess. Oh, man. Uh, If you'd like to see pictures of my pets, find me on Instagram. (laughs) At Brian J. Rowan. (laughs) I've seen some of your pictures lately. They are, they're on point, Brian. Oh, thank you. That's like. They're making me feel bad about my uh, photography ability. I um I got a camera last year before I went to the beach, and then uh, after Christmas I bought myself a new lens for it. So I'm like making a pointed effort to go out and take pictures and post them, and like not keep my light under a bushel. I did think it was weird. Let your light shine, Brian. Thank you, Bill. Bill, you ruined my swastika joke. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, 
My bad. I was going to be like, Brian, did you mean to have that gigantic swastika in that one with your cat? Or was that incidental? <laughs> I do believe that the cat may be a Nazi. <laughs> No reason why. Um, fantastic. Are we done talking about pets? Yes, sure. Let's go. Let's do this. All right. Fantastic. 